Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. This nationally recognized, award-winning podcast is hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program. Our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by April Stauffer, the Community Outreach Coordinator for Kentucky Southern Indiana Alzheimer's Association. Welcome, April. Thanks so much for having me. April, I appreciate you uh, joining us today. Prior to us recording, you shared some information with me regarding caregivers and dementia, and um, you shared some really interesting facts that essentially that there's over 270,000 unpaid caregivers that are providing care to an estimated 75,000 people with Alzheimer's and dementia throughout Kentucky. We know that being a caregiver, and honestly, regardless if it's being a caregiver for, for a little kiddo or an older adult or whoever it may be, can be extremely taxing, but especially for an individual that is suffering from dementia. So today you're going you're gonna to talk with us some about understanding that caregiver role as well as resources that might be available. And then I think a really neat aspect of our talk today is that we're also going to focus some on how to find the joy even in the midst of taking care of an individual or Alzheimer's. So I see you being with us. Thanks so much. I'm excited because I think a lot of times we talk about caregiving and the negative things that um, that might involve. And, you know, we're going to talk about some changes and roles and um, how the disease affects caregivers. But I love that if we're focused on some of the positives and the joy, there are a lot of joys in caregiving. So I'm hopeful that if a caregiver is listening today, they may get some better ideas of how to look at their loved one and their situation. Let's get started talking about, because I just mentioned that there's several different types of caregiving roles that an individual may have over the course of their life. How is caring for a person with Alzheimer's or dementia different from other types of caregiving? Sure. You had mentioned at the very beginning about being a caregiver, like as a parent. And I think about that and just how, you know, a lot of us have been parents throughout our lifetime. And when you're caring for a child, you're watching that child blossom and grow up and become independent. And so in that perspective, when we think about caring for someone with dementia, that can last anywhere from three to 20 years. And you're actually watching the reverse happen of, you know, somebody that had been so independent and they're declining in their physical abilities, their cognitive abilities, their personality even. And so caregivers, as a result of all of that, they have to change as their loved one changes and they have to learn to do more of the work for their person Um, They have to adapt. Um, Communication becomes harder as the disease progresses. So they have to learn different strategies for communicating well with their person. And, you know, sometimes they may not be able to understand exactly what their loved one was conveying to them. And so they have to become a detective and so many different roles that they have to take on behaviors um, that their loved one may experience, not only affect the person with dementia, but affect that caregiver in the family situation. 
physical demands that are brought on by that caregiving role. You know, early on with dementia, people don't just change completely overnight. They don't go from being completely independent, holding a job, able to provide and care for their family to the next day being in a bed and all of right. all those abilities just gone. They vanish. It's a gradual, slow progression. And so the physical needs over time increase. And so you may have a caregiver who's been a spouse of her husband for many years, and now she has the responsibility of lifting him, of you know, changing depends for him, uh, being up throughout the night as he wakes up several times during the night. So lots of, you know, lots of caregiving there in those final years of care. And the disease can also provide financial burdens and hardship for families because it lasts so long and because of the extensive amount of care that a person may need during those later stages. So as you talk about this changing role of the caregiver over time, what needs do caregivers have? Sure. Well, we think about losses that caregivers may have because, like I said just a minute ago, you know, the person is changing that has the diagnosis, but the caregiver experiences lots of loss. They lose time that they had for themselves. If it's a spouse they're caring for, think about all of the roles that that spouse did, like all the responsibilities. Maybe um, that person mowed the yard. Maybe they cooked the meals. Maybe they handled all the finances and they're not able to do those things anymore. So a caregiver has a loss perhaps of somebody in their life who was doing that. And so then they have to take on all of those responsibilities too. So So thinking about those needs that the caregiver might have, they may feel isolated and alone at this time. Um, Even when their loved one is physically still there, the abilities and roles may not be there. So they need companionship. Some families and friends pull away. Um, What we've experienced with caregivers and these families is that lots of times the family and friends who were so involved in a part of their life don't understand how to interact necessarily with the person with the disease and they withdraw. And that's a time when the caregiver needs that support the most. So we see a lot of lonely caregivers. We see that people with dementia may need companionship from someone other than their main caregiver because everybody needs a break. You know, COVID has taught us we're in a home with the same people all the time. Like for a person with dementia to only be with that one person 24 hours a day, they need a break too from, from their caregiver. So caregivers, they'll also need time, time to rest, just time for themselves, time to unwind and get away from that responsibility of being a caregiver. Other things that we think that they need are education about the disease and strategies for day-to-day care, education about planning for the future. Um, That education is power for caregivers, and it helps them to develop empathy for their loved ones and understanding. It's hard, I think, sometimes when someone does have a brain disease because we can't see that their brain is actually breaking. Um, If I had a broken arm, and I'm holding up my arm. I know you can't see me on the podcast, but um, um, if I had a broken arm, you would notice that I have a cast on to help heal that broken arm. 
Well, with a dementia, people don't go around wearing bandages on their heads. And sometimes we forget when we care for them that their brain is actually breaking. And so little by little, it deteriorates. And so we need to have some empathy and understanding of that. Caregivers will also need support. um, And we think some of the best support comes from other caregivers who have been there before. And so support groups can be a great support for families dealing with the disease. Caregivers often wonder if they're doing the right thing. They want to know that they're absolutely doing the best thing for their loved ones. And so support groups can kind of offer that validation for those caregivers. Um, And they also can provide normalization. They may hear from other caregivers different behaviors that their loved one may be participating in are the same ones that they're doing. So um, it allows them to kind of see what is normal and what to expect. And then One of the last things I would suggest that caregivers need is grace, grace for themselves, from themselves. They need to know they're not always going to get everything right as a caregiver, and it's okay to make mistakes. I think we can be our worst enemies by judging ourselves too harshly and just knowing that there is no perfect caregiver and that we're all doing the best that we can do. I think that reminder of grace is is so important, and it can be hard for individuals to to give themselves grace. I think that's another thing that we've learned during during COVID as well. As we talk about caregivers needing grace, and, and you mentioned about the support that caregivers need, and I think that this would be really hard for an individual, but how can a caregiver tell when they need help, when they need to ask for that extra support, or they need to reach out to maybe bring in a secondary caregiver? How can an individual recognize? that. Yeah, I think as Americans, we love to be independent and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Very self-sufficient. Yes. And so it makes it hard in our society to ask for help. Um, We even have some cards at the Alzheimer's Association that say 10 ways to help a family going through Alzheimer's or dementia. And so we give that to caregivers, suggesting that if somebody asks you if you need help, here is, you know, a card you can give them with ideas. But, you know, a lot of times as caregivers, we don't understand when we need help. We want to do it all on our own. A lot of times what I hear is nobody can take care of him like I can. Spouses will often say that. And, you know, they are partly right, but they also need to care for themselves. So our bodies have a way of telling us when we need help. And so, when we become more angry or we're exhausted or we might be depressed or when we're more irritable, um, those are sure signs that we may need additional help. Uh, Withdrawing from friends and activities and difficulty sleeping and concentrating can also be signs that we need help. So sometimes, you know, I hate to see this happen, but some of the caregivers will not ask for help and they end up having their own health issues like heart issues even because what often happens is they will neglect their own physical needs caring for their loved one. And so we know that to be a good caregiver and to provide the best care for our loved ones, caregivers need to take care of themselves first. And you have to set aside time to prioritize you as a caregiver. And it's hard because 
we're always thinking about the other person, but we, in order to provide the best care we can for our loved one, we've got to take care of ourselves. So I know when I don't get enough rest, I become more irritable. Um, I do too. Around me. And so I think, you know, as a caregiver, if, you know, if your loved one is up during the night and you have to be up at night with them to make sure they're safe, you're going to be probably more irritable the next day. And then you're, you know, the person you care for may do something and you fly off the handle and um, then you have more behaviors from your loved one. And so we've got to take care of our own self first so that we can provide good care for our loved one. I think that's an excellent reminder for everyone. And as you said, something that's very hard to do, but by putting yourself in a position to take good care of yourself, you're also able to take better care of your loved one. Right. What resources Alzheimer's Association provide and how can an individual access those resources? Sure. During COVID, uh, we're not bringing people together. So typically we would have in-person group meetings and in-person education programs, but due to COVID, um, we know that our population that we serve is more vulnerable to the devastating effects of COVID. So we're doing everything pretty much virtually or by phone right now. So we have always had our 24-hour helpline where people can call night or day and talk to a master's level social worker who will listen. So if you just need to vent to someone, if you just need a listening ear, um, you can call our helpline. Or if you need resources, if you need a referral somewhere, if you need to know about um, a physician in the area or um, a referral to long-term care, we can give you those. So that 24-hour helpline number is 1-800-272-3900. Again, that's 1-800-272-3900. We have online support groups and telephone support groups, and those are for caregivers, but we also have groups for people living with dementia who want to talk about their experience. So to get information about dates and times of meetings, you can call that helpline number. We also have monthly education programs, and there's a variety of topics that we focus on from understanding Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, knowing the 10 warning signs of the disease, all the way to living with the disease, different stages and communication and behaviors and lots of different topics that you can tap into. And again, you can find out more about dates and times by calling our helpline. And for our listeners, we can link the helpline in the show notes, as well as you provided us with a couple of websites that may be of a benefit, and we can list those in the show notes as well, so they can go back and reference for additional information. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, our web our web resources are phenomenal. Um, there's so much good information on alls.org, um, just information about the disease if you're interested or information about caregiving tips. And there's even a page in there for living well with Alzheimer's or dementia if you've been diagnosed. So even people with dementia early on are looking for resources to help and understand the disease process. Um, we also have Alls Connected, which is an online support forum for individuals. You can sign up to be anonymous or you can sign up with your real name and get connected with different groups that are specific to whatever stage of the disease. Or um, if you're in a group, you want to know more about driving, 
and giving that up, you can join that group. There's also Alls Navigator, and Alls Navigator is like an online helpline. So for people who don't feel comfortable calling and talking to a live person, they can go to allsnavigator.org. And what will happen is it'll ask you questions like, why, what are you looking for? What can we help you with? And it'll have a list of topics and you select that. And then it will ask you different questions. Uh, Maybe things like, what have you done about that so far? Like, how can we help in this process? And so I talked about driving just a second ago, but it might be you're wanting more information about helping your loved one to ease them and transition them from being an independent driver to not driving. So it may have suggestions of maybe you need to ride with your loved one for a while in the passenger seat and keep an eye on how they're driving. Uh, Maybe you've done that and maybe it's time to have a conversation with them about driving Or perhaps you've had the conversation and they're still insistent that they drive. So perhaps we need to talk about some strategies, hiding the keys or dismantling the engine or batteries somehow (laughs) so that they don't drive. So there are helpful tools along the way. If you're not comfortable talking with somebody um, by phone, you can look online to get tips like that. And I'm sure that those resources are invaluable to to caregivers because I would assume that most caregivers are probably navigating an a Alzheimer's diagnosis or a dementia diagnosis the first time through. So you don't right. have much experience to fall back on. Exactly. And every person that has the disease, even if even if a caregiver had a mother or father or sister or brother, and now they're, you know, caring for a spouse or a even adult child sometimes, that happens. Like each person with the disease is different. So if you've experienced with one person, you've experienced it with that one person. All of our brains are complex and different. So the way that the dementia presents itself is going to be different in every individual. As we begin to wrap up today, I want to make certain that we talk about this idea of experiencing joy. How can caregivers and people with dementia continue to find that joy in their daily lives? Yeah, I think attitude is a big part of the joy that families with this disease can focus on and change. So if we're always looking for the negative, then that's all that we're going to see. So we need to look for things that are positive in our loved ones and our day-to-daily, our daily interaction. So sometimes in the disease process, our loved one may have lucid moments and lucid moments are where our loved one is thinking more clearly. And those are a moment, it could be just a tiny snippet of, you know, five minutes, or it could be a whole day where they're kind of like they were before you noticed anything being wrong with them. And so just gauge on those moments, think about those moments and just feel so blessed that you've had that moment with them. Cause we don't know how often a person will have lucid moments as the disease progresses. And it really does surprise caregivers when they have those Other things that we can do to create joy are to look for different ways to connect with our loved ones. So if we're always expecting our loved one to do the things they've always done in the past, we're going to be disappointed because their abilities are changing. So we need to try to 
do different new things with our person. So that might be looking at old photos and reminiscing with your loved one. Or it could be listening to music that your loved one might have enjoyed long ago. Um, It could be dancing. It could be even games. Um, We can connect through nature and art with our loved ones. I think, you know, when we can try our best not to assume that they're going to be able to do all that they've done in the past, but be willing to change and help them change, they're going to lose their initiative to do things on their own. So we have to help them come out of their shell a little bit and design something for them to do to be a part of. Some of the most success I've seen with people early in the disease process and in the middle stages is when they've taken the focus off of themselves and they do something for someone else. So we've got a caregiver in person with dementia, even during during COVID, who were volunteering hours of their time in a food bank sorting canned goods for families that you know may not be so fortunate to have food on their table. Um, We've seen people help deliver meals. We've seen people cut fabric and make scarves for, you know, people in the wintertime that might need that. So doing things for others can definitely be a sense of joy and pride for individuals. I Uh, love that idea, too, that that's I I really think that that's a that's a neat idea that it allows you to engage with the community and engage with others and to take some of the focus off of yourself or your loved one that you may just get so, so caught up in, in that, that it, that it allows you to maybe take a moment back. Yes. Yeah. Very true. And, you know, just because a person has a dementia doesn't make them any less of a person. So they still have needs just like everyone else that's a human being. So thinking about all the things that, that you enjoy and that, bring purpose to your life, the person with dementia still needs to feel purpose as well. Whenever I work with caregivers, I encourage them to keep a journal or write things down um, that they're thankful for about that day and about their person. And even people with dementia can do this early on. And so as a result, what we've seen happen is people with dementia change as the disease changes them. And so For instance, they may do something today that irritates you as a caregiver. So we had a caregiver whose loved one was in the early to middle stages and that person's life, they had always tried to be a hostess to any guests that would visit them. And so early on in the disease process, whenever the caregiver would come over because she didn't live there, um, the mother would ask her if she could get her a drink. And so the mother always wanted to get a drink. Can I get you something to drink? And if she noticed her glass was empty, she would ask again, can I get you something to drink over and over, like for an hour or two? And it would drive the daughter crazy because I already told you, mom, I've had enough to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, But eventually as the disease progressed, little by little, that person with dementia stopped asking. And never again was she able to ask the daughter if she wanted, you know, her glass refilled or wanted something to drink. And so we never know how long the behaviors are going to last that our loved ones are doing that drive us crazy. Even in the midst of the hard behaviors, we need to be thankful for some of them because that may be the last time that our loved one is able to do that. And how sad, you know, for this daughter, she looks back and thinks, oh, I certainly 
so thankful for that. So trying to change our attitude about this is a frustrating behavior to I'm so glad she's able to do this. To appreciate the moment. Yes, exactly. So it, it can help us to be kinder and more gentle as, as caregivers, for sure. April, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is great information to be able to share with caregivers and just to help folks be more aware of resources that are available to them, that they do not have to navigate this alone, that there is support and that there is help and that that they can reach out to a broader network to help get through this time. Yeah, I think it's so important for caregivers to know they're not alone and there is support. And if we can help in any way, we would love to be a resource for them. Thanks, Jennifer, for having me on the show today. Thank you, April. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition, health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, Leave a like and a comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT or send us an email at UKFCSEXT at UKY.edu. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for Family and Consumer Sciences. We build strong families. We build Kentucky. It starts with us.